One of the most anti-inflammatory treatments out there is regenerative medicine. Stem cells, exosomes, these things are probably the best at controlling the immune system. The word that's used is immune, immunomodulatory. They temper the immune system. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything, and I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general educational purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. And well, Dr. Jeff is a doctor. He's not your doctor. So we always recommend that you see a licensed health professional accordingly. I am excited to introduce you to Dr. Jeffrey Gross, a board-certified and fellowship-trained neurosurgeon. Dr. Gross is the owner of SPINE, all capital letters, and a regenerative medicine practice called ReCelebrate, which we're going to be talking about later today, practicing in California and Nevada. But you actually hail from my hometown. I don't know if you know this. You graduated from GW and I live in the suburbs outside of D.C. So that's where you went to medicine school, medicine and health sciences in 1992. Uh, and Dr. Jeffrey also specializes in concierge treatment options for patients with neck and or back problems, as well as brain and head injuries. And we are going to be talking because you are an internationally recognized expert in the field of neurosurgery and stem cell medicine, continually striving for non-surgical treatments, which I think most patients want as well, right? Like when we're talking about the brain and the spine, we're like, what can we do to avoid surgery? And Dr. Gross has written and spoken internationally on regenerative medicine for the spine and anti-aging, as well as medically speaking concerning uh, prevention, diagnosis, surgical treatment, rehabilitation of disorders that affect any portion of the nervous system, including the brain, spinal cord, uh, peripheral nerves, and extracranial cerebrovascular system. Did I say that correctly? Did great. Awesome. Okay. So I don't know how much listeners know, but neurosurgeons are doctors who diagnose and treat problems specific to the nervous system, which is why all of these things are linked, often performing surgery on the brain or the spine, as I mentioned, but um, can treat strokes, tumors, certain types of birth defects, infections, head or spinal cord injuries. So I'm curious, Dr. Gross, also to talk in this post-pandemic world, what you're seeing in this kind of emerging opportunities to support some of these newer health effects from the pandemic. But we'll talk about all of those kinds of things, the emergent science on stem cell therapy, as well as non-surgical and regenerative medicine options. But first, in whatever I did not cover, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Welcome to the whole view and maybe tell us why you have this passion. What brought you to this work? Thank you. I, I'm happy to be here and speak with you and your audience today. This is great. This is this should be fun. It's, it already is. My short story is I was a practicing neurosurgeon, mostly doing spine work because I have additional training in spine. 
And for the better part of, it was about two decades into my career. And I, I was, I looked back and said, I've been doing the same thing that I was trained to do by people who were doing the same thing that were trained by people, the same thing for so many years and trying hard to leave surgery as the last option, but still a lot of the surgical options we have, particularly for neck and back problems and pain and things like this hadn't changed drastically in many decades. And patients would come to me and say, the therapy helped a little, the injections I tried helped a little. And we say, well, I guess we have to talk about the option of surgery. And they say, I'm just not quite ready for surgery. It's okay, that's good, let's not be ready. Well, what else can I do, doc? How about stem cells? How about stem cells? I get hit over the head with that enough times. I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look into it. And I started going to conferences and educational opportunities and got trained and, and read and, and researched. And all of a sudden, I have a new, exciting kind of version 2.0 of my practice. And I'm doing things I didn't think I would be doing, but I love doing them. And yet I have another tool to help people avoid surgery, not just now of the spine, but help people heal from nervous system problems and other things and help them avoid surgery of other joints, knees and hips and so on. Well, I'm excited to talk because we have, I have a lot of joint problems in my family. My grandmother had terrible arthritis and I myself had incredible knee pain in my 20s before I started to understand what was causing inflammation in my body and working on that a bit more. And I don't know how much you know about me, but I used to be a competitive athlete until I had a really bad back injury. And I did years of trying to improve my health. And it was with one cortisone treatment in my spine that allowed me to then actually do some of the physical therapy and then get better. And so I I know how powerful that could be. I, and my doctor who was saying, I think you're going to need surgery. I came back in months after the injection and he was like, I can't believe how well you're doing. I would have told you 80 to 80% 80 with surgery and you're doing 90% on your own with physical therapy and, and movement. So no, we're not going to do surgery, which is the most any person in their 30s who has at the time three relatively small children wants to hear like nobody wants to have to do back surgery right so i am particularly i have a personal vested interest in this idea that there are treatments out there this these are real medicinal treatments that are backed by science and studies and listeners so before i welcome dr gross onto the show i actually insisted on receiving some of those scientific studies. I am very in-depth in um, ensuring that we don't have people in the show who are just like doing random things and saying that it is miraculous and healing because it's something that they can sell. And so I take a lot of pride in ensuring that the people who are here talking about things are actually providing value and knowledge to listeners and not just like thinking things might work. And what I loved about looking into the research that you're showing is it is emerging. There is not a plethora of studies that can show a lot of things, but there there is information out there. And there's a, a lot that I can see from looking around where people are saying we should really do more studies to look into how stem cells could help this condition because we've seen that it helps in something similar, right? And so I'm hoping maybe we can 
start our conversation just by educating listeners a little bit because it is emerging. And I know for me, I hear some of these terms and I'm like, what does that mean exactly? Or I think I know, but I don't really know. And so even when it comes to something called stem cells, I'm like, what exactly is a stem cell? <laughs> like, Maybe you could talk through some of what these terms are to get us all on the same page to talk your language. Totally. Happily so, because one of, one of my goals, not just with you today, uh, but in, in joining other podcasts and writing blogs and getting out on social media is to, is to educate people about the field of regenerative medicine. And that's really what we call this. Stem cell medicine is the sexy form of the word, but it's regenerative medicine. And it taps into our own ability as, an, as a living, breathing person or animal of sorts that we are to have and use our own repair and healing and regenerative processes. And if you look across biology, we see that in, in cells that can recycle their parts. We see it in certain species like starfish that can grow a new limb. We see it in certain lizards that can regrow a tail. And I was just going to say, my husband loves skinks and how they grow, regrow their tails. Yep. And there is some overlap in the human. A child less than six years of age, if the child is to have a accidental cut above the fingertip. Yeah. Oh, there you go. You can Do you know this about me? I cannot no, I believe you no, just no, brought this that up. Well published. This is well published. Five or six years of age that we shut off those genes as long as the cut is further out than the last joint. Mm -hmm. But go ahead, tell your story. I want to see how that <laughs> Oh my gosh. So I'm totally interrupting you. And this is a thing that I hid for years. And I had a lot of, as a child, a lot of shame about. But I, when I was 18 months old, cut off the tip of my right pointer finger. And I, it was not beyond the first joint. It was for people who are like watching the video, you can see that my finger is shorter. And bizarrely, oh, for a law, a, a big turn of events, the pediatric surgeon didn't get to the hospital in time, couldn't reattach the finger. And they took the skin in the palm of my hand and they sewed my finger into the palm of my hand, wrapped the skin around the top of my bone. And looks to most people like a normal finger, but I have a lot of scar tissue. I can't really feel the top of my fingertip, but I grew a new fingernail and it's a, it's funny shaped and weird. And the doctors were like, we don't understand. Like you cut off your nail bed, but you grew a new fingernail back. And so I'm just sitting here listening. I'm like, wait a minute. You just randomly talking about cutting off the top of a finger. And I happen to be this person who has had that experience. Yes, this was not scripted, everyone listening. <laughs> it, it is known that we, that's the leftover human vestige of this, of the, these genes that we turn off, these regenerative genes. You think about it, the embryo, when we're formed as an embryo, we start to develop into a fetus and then a baby. Those cells are just dividing and rapidly developing out limbs and a head and our tail or the vestige of a tail or tailbone. This is all programmed and it has to turn on and then turn off. Otherwise, we continue to grow all kinds of parts. And so we're, the more we learn about this, the more we can help people who have problems like 
a limb, loss of a limb, or we can regrow our own organs. We're constantly turning over our own liver cells. We're constantly making new skin in layers. Those, we're constantly producing these parts. We, our ability to do that loses its gusto with age. And we can maybe talk about the relationship between aging, inflammation, and regenerative medicine, because they all overlap quite nicely. Uh, but in short, the, the stem cell 101 is we're formed of stem cells. The embryo is made of these very omnipotent stem cells that can divide and, and create a human. Then as they start to get into their segment of what they're going to be, maybe you're going to be an arm, they go from omnipotent to pluripotent. I mean, they can't make everything, but they can make a lot. Then from pluripotent down to multipotent. And they work their way down this framework until they form the human. And then when the fetus is humanoid, it becomes a baby. It's born. And we retain these cells, these stem cells, not so much the embryonic ones, the ones that we started with when we were just a ball of cells, but these ones that can still replace any missing tissue that we need, regenerate organs that we need. And those are, they haven't gone to the vocational counselor yet. They don't know what kind of cell they're going to be, but upon need, they're called upon. And most of those are stored in our bone marrow, although they're in other parts of the body. Those are what we generally refer to as stem cells, because all of our cells stem from those. And that's just the basics. What is, are there different types of stem cells? Because there's also like I can't pronounce it, mesenchymal, right? Like what are there different types of stem cells? Because also in addition to bone marrow, I know that when I was a pregnant mother, it was suggested that I save the um, stem cells and from the cord blood, right? Like store right. cord blood, which was exorbitantly expensive back when I was pregnant, but is now, my understanding, much more affordable and common practice. Right. So yeah, let me cover those because those are all common things we've heard about. There are different types of stem cells and they come from the different layers of the embryo. And there are three main layers. There's the outside called the ectoderm, the inside called the endoderm, and most of the meat, the middle layer is called the mesenchyme. So a stem cell from the mesenchyme is called a mesenchymal stem cell, or for short, an MSC. And most of the work we do, especially with joints and spines and things like that, come from MSC type stem cells or, or derived from MSCs. Now, when you are making a baby in your, in your womb, that baby is connected to some baby-making supply uh, depots, the placenta connected to the baby through the umbilical cord. And although the baby is rich in stem cells and created from stem cells, so is the, so are those cells traveling through the placenta and along the cord to get their nutrients. So when the baby is born, there is a reserve supply of extra cells in the placenta and in the umbilical cord specifically, it's in a very goopy part of tissue and it's called Wharton's jelly. It contains many cells and you can harvest those and it's been done for many years and put them aside. And the main purpose of that over the last couple of decades was for the sole purpose of forbid your child gets 
a bloodborne cancer called leukemia, then you can have a chemotherapy to wipe out the entire supply of, of bone marrow in the baby and all the cells related to it and resupply it with that umbilical cord cell. So that was the purpose of banking that and the rarity. Now, can we now use those cells for other purposes? Sure, as yet a mainstream thing, but for those people who banked those cells earlier, when these children become in their 50s and their 60s and they need stem cells for a knee problem, we might be able to tap in, into that. That is one source of multiple sources of those cells. And hearing you explain all of that, it would also explain why a sibling might get a bone marrow transplant, or that's what it's referred to, to help a sibling who would have leukemia, right? Because they would share those cells and then be able to regenerate from that. Am I understanding correctly? Right. And you think about not just siblings, but when people do seek for bone marrow donors, they do want a matched donor. So siblings tend to match because they share significant overlap in genetics. Uh, whereas you have to find a match otherwise. If you don't have one from your family or from your own umbilical cord, then you have to reach out to the general public and they match a number of cell surface markers because one does not want to have a rejection of the donated or transplanted grafted tissue or cells. Beauty Counter's annual Black Friday sale is here and it is the best ever. 20% off site-wide and a free full-size gift of choice at checkout. This includes their limited edition holiday sets, which are a great way to give the gift of health this season. But items have already started to go out of stock, so don't wait. Vote with your wallet this season and support my small woman-owned business through a B Corp that's EWG verified. You can get clean eau de perfume, skincare, body sets, and even great stocking stuffers like lip jellies or charcoal soap. See what I did there? And you can find something for everyone on your list. And if you choose me as your consultant at checkout, I always give back. This year, I am gifting sets to local shelters and foster group homes so that those teens and adults without a home can feel extra special and give themselves some much needed self-care this season. Made with sustainable, fair trade, and skin nourishing ingredients, Beauty Counter is raising up beauty. It's a little luxury that makes a positive impact on our health for all of our collective communities through legislative change and giving back, as well as for the earth through sustainable manufacturing practices. We're getting safer products into the hands of everyone, giving back to people and planet as a certified B Corp. Go to beautycounter.com slash Toth, just like any other website. Don't forget to check out my special private deal just for you listeners. And when shopping at Beauty Counter, choose me, S-T-A-C-Y-T-O-T-H, so that I can thank you. Well, I think it's it's especially interesting to think about this being used in some of these. I'm not a huge fan of the term anti-aging techniques, but let's say to combat some of the painful or negative health effects as we do age. None of us want to be in pain and to have to undergo surgery can be problematic for many reasons. And so the idea that we could potentially 
utilize these tools for knee pain, as you mentioned, in lieu of or in addition to to help make it more effective. Knee surgery is something I'm super curious about. Can you talk about historically where some of these have been? You talked about the example with cord blood and leukemia, but I'm wondering, like, I've heard about stem cells, but also like platelet-rich plasma or PRP is something that also has potential benefits when we're looking at health effects. What are some of the ways that these have historically been used versus some of the ways that we're discovering they can be used preventatively, regeneratively in the future? Okay. I'm going to answer in two parts. Um, First, I think we should define the different general categories of regenerative biologics. So there are platelet-rich plasma or PRP, there are stem cells, and there are, then there are stem cell-derived um, nanoparticles called exosomes. So briefly, PRP stands for platelet-rich plasma, and this can be drawn from your own blood and spun. Your blood is spun in a number of tubes in the centrifuge, and when you spin it with centrifugal forces, the red blood cells are separated out from the plasma, which is the watery contents of blood. But in between, there's a little little band of sort of white cells and platelets, which are a different type of cell. And in there are many growth factors. And you can separate out these platelet-rich factors and pull them together, and they can be re-injected into an area of injury, like a tennis elbow or a knee strain. And they can help you concentrate your body's healing. I'm going to say concentrate the acute inflammation of healing where you need it most. You might say, well, my body will circulate blood and heal itself. And that's all true. But sometimes that helps to get a booster of those factors where you need them. And most people who have PRP injections can have them two or three times and it can help uh, with lots of problems. And there's great research on this now. And although none of these biologics are approved for claims by the FDA, PRP is now covered by most insurance plans, which is an, a, a rare oddity. So why? Because it's a lot cheaper than surgery, and, and now they're showing these outcomes are, are worthwhile. So, so the PRP is the lowest level of regenerative medicine you can do, and it's usually from your own body. There are a couple different forms of it, but generally speaking, that's what it is. If you've ever heard of a vampire facial, PRP is what's used to rejuvenate some of the face. The same growth factors are used to rejuvenate skin of the face. And it can also be used for thinning hair, by the way. Um, The next level up would be stem cells, right? These are the active healing cells. They're not degraded so much. They can divide. They can go into an area and help just like PRP, but at an enhanced rate. Some people do these IV. Classically, pro athletes for many years have gone out of the country to receive stem cells. This is not new. Right? You, this has been on, this is two to three decades. America is a little bit slow but, to adopt these things, but it's around. And this is very useful. You can also use them. And we'll come back to knees in a minute. I wanted to finish this part one. And the third level comes from the idea that the stem cells, if we were to deliver stem cells, Stacey, in someone and give them intravenous, go to the whole body, give me a dose of 
vigor and vitality and rejuvenation, and they can, they only last about 10 to 14 days, but the benefits can last many months. So the question is, why? How does that work? And it turns out that those stem cells deliver a message to our own cells. And that message comes from thousands of very small particles from each stem cell delivering a small packet of growth factors and microRNAs to our cells to tell them to behave in a more rejuvenated way, to activate them. Even our own stem cells can get activated through this message. And these particles are called exosomes, E-X-O-S-O-M-E-S. And they're called nanoparticles because a cell, like a stem cell, is measured in diameter in microns, 10 to the minus six, for those of you who remember all your math. And something one one thousandth that size is 10 to the minus nine, which is called a nanometer. So they're nanoparticles. And those are typically... And now we can just get these concentrated exosomes and deliver them and skip the stem cell middleman. And a lot of what I do now is based on those. But they all have rejuvenating benefits. They all fight inflammation on a chronic sense. And inflammation is slowly degrading us, slowly degenerating us. So the opposite of degeneration is regeneration. That's why we call this regenerative medicine. All right, that's part one. Part two is now let's talk about Knees, for an example, I think you brought that. So the simple concept is, oh, my knee is wearing down. The meniscus cartilage layer is thin or torn, or I've had surgery to clean it up once or twice. And now I'm told I have arthritis, which is a overused vague term. Or I, my doctor says I'm bone on bone. He did an x-ray. I'm bone on bone. Well, no one's really bone touching bone. There is something there. But what they're saying is your cartilage is worn out. You need a knee replacement. Well, that's a pretty barbaric surgery. It does have a role. It does help. But boy, if we could avoid it by helping a cartilage stay in a good shape or even enhance it a bit and reduce inflammation in the joint, because inflammation leads to arthritis. In fact, the word itis at the end of that word is means that it's inflammation, like inflamed tonsils is tonsillitis. So the, the concept was, why don't we just inject some stem cells or PRP or exosomes into the joint where the cartilage is? Because we do these gel injections, right? a lot of people have those. Well, it turns out that's okay. There are some decent results, but they're not fantastic. And the, the reason for that is cartilage or the meniscus isn't very bioactive. It doesn't have a lot of cells. It's a biological rubber. It's your tire shred in your knee. It's the soft part. And think back for a minute. When we were a fetus and we were creating that knee, it was created out of those mesenchymal stem cells, those MSCs that are still residing in the bone. So think about it this way. The tips of the bone edges formed the cartilage in the knee. The knee is born of its bone marrow because that's where our stem cells are really compacted in. Think about the growth plates are at the ends of the bones. Why? That's where all the active stem cell activity is. So the group in France, Dr. Hernigau, published two years ago, 15-year follow-up. And this is exciting. 
And they compared a group of patients who were recommended knee replacement surgery by their orthopedic doctors. So they already had bone on bone or arthritis, osteoarthritis. And Dr. Hernigas said, hey, we're having this study. Instead of having knee replacement, would you like to try these, these stem cells? They had no problem getting people to sign up. They took half of the people that signed up and says, we're going to inject it in your joint where the cartilage is. And they took the other half and said, we're going to inject it in the bone edges called the subchondral bone, just adjacent to the cartilage above and below. And at the five-year mark, they published, both groups were doing great. They would, knees were feeling better. They did not need surgery. At the 10-year mark, they published that now the joint-injected group weren't doing quite as good as the bone-injected group. And two years ago, they published on the 15-year follow-up. So now they're 17 years into it, and I look forward to their 20-year results in a few years. But at the 15-year mark, now we had a significant di uh, divergence. The bone-injected group were still doing great. Over 80% of those people still had a healthy knee and no, still no longer needed a knee replacement. Whereas in the joint-injected group, it was down in the 20% remained okay. So, so this clearly shows us that injecting biologics into the bone can help regenerate the joint and save the knee. I should also add that last month, Dr. Scott Bowden out of Emory in Atlanta published a, a review of different types of biologic injections into the knee joint, not the bone. And found in the short run, meaning I think it was measured less than two years, uh, that it was not better than a steroid injection. So I think that's more evidence for we need to look at the bone. And the simplistic and original thought was to go for the joint. And that's really not where to go. So I've been doing a lot of bone work for that reason. This podcast is sponsored by Vegamore with an epic Black Friday sale so you can get the hair of your dreams for less. I have been using and loving the results of their clean products for years and can validate their clinically proven results personally as well. Tested to improve density, reduce shedding, and 91% of customers say they saw visibly thicker hair with Vegamore in just three months. And with a 90-day return policy, why not give it a try? Plus, all Vagmore products are 100% cruelty-free and never contain parabens. If it weren't for the results myself, visibly thicker, fuller, much longer, faster growing hair without all the harsh ingredients, I wouldn't be able to believe it. But I have found the biggest difference from their Grow Revitalizing line. The foundation kit includes shampoo, conditioner, and the clarifying serum I love. Which makes sense because science shows that by massaging it in before you wash your hair, since I also use and love the dry shampoo, it helps remove buildup and improves blood flow and scalp health, increasing the ability for your hair to be healthy and grow. I also really highly recommend the leave-in spray conditioner with heat protection. It is super important to use sprays that are clean because products that you inhale or consume have a higher absorption rate than something you would put on your skin, for example. And it all smells so good safely. Friends, for a limited time, go to vegamore.com slash wholeview and use code wholeview at checkout to get in on Vegamore's biggest sale of the year during Black Friday and Cyber Monday. 
That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R dot com slash WholeView. Code WholeView to get the best deals on Vegamore's line of products. Vegamore.com slash WholeView. Code WholeView. And I think what can be really fantastic about this knee study is that even if it keeps like, let's say even at the 20 year mark, people are starting to need surgery to be able to wait 20 years for surgery could prevent someone from needing multiple knee replacements. Right. Like if you my grandmother who had terrible arthritis ended up losing motility in one of her legs from her second knee surgery, which didn't go well. And so I think about had this been an option for her, she wouldn't have needed to have the second surgery so much later in life, right? Like she could have just had her first surgery. And it there's opens up a lot of opportunities for people who have joint pains. I saw like a 2022 study, which was suggesting that it needed to be looked into for people with hip pain and that we could see that the results were promising in other areas and, um, anticipated that there would be improved outcomes with MSCs on people with hip pains. And then a great 2021 case study on one 16-year-old individual who had like a rare joint condition who they were treating with the stem cells into the bone itself, who was healed that way. And I think to a 16-year-old to have to undergo extensive surgery on your bones versus getting an injection like that's that's a quality of life change in in terms of like how amazing the results could be to not have to undergo severe surgery at that age so i'm curious some of the other applications or ideas that you have for this given that we see some of the medicinal studies and clinical work that's coming out showing their benefits like where do you think this could go in the future? Well, I think it's already here. It's just not mainstream that uh, the subchondral bone injections, and again, subchondral means just adjacent to the joint, uh, is a great way to reduce inflammation and help restore the function of the cartilage. It's going to help prevent and reduce and delay, as you said, these joint replacement surgeries and large larger surgeries. It won't replace all surgery at this time. But I think you're right that if you're in a study or you're matching the work of a study and 15 years into it, your knee that has done well after a stem cell procedure is now going south again, you can repeat it. The French study didn't have an arm for repeating it because it just wasn't designed that way. But why not do it again? If it worked once, it'll probably work again. So I think as opposed to going in every few months for a gel injection or a cortisone injection, but you could do every 10 to 20 years a regenerative injection. It's a lot less effort and invasiveness and buys more time while we do see what the future holds for this. I'm, I'm chuckling because I'm thinking about like all the celebrities that would take advantage of like the anti-aging effects like you were talking about the vampire facial but also like i was just thinking to myself all the memes that say like paul red hasn't aged and like all these things i'm like this he's just getting msc injections <laughs> that 
That's all. They're just it, IV infusion must be. That's why maybe. people aren't aging. <laughs> you may be. Um, are quiet about it, but we do have a group of people, the biohacking clubs that are very interested in this and, and do receive and come to us for some IV, even preventive. Yeah, remember the old hair club? I'm not just the, just the owner, I'm a customer. So I also that and have enjoyed it. That's great. And I know you also contributed to a textbook talking about the application of regenerative medicine. And you were talking about the benefits as it related specifically to reducing pain. Can you talk a little bit about that relative to the work that you were doing on spine? But I'm assuming it's beyond spine as well. If you get more cartilage in your knee, it'll hurt less, right? So. <laughs> right. No, I was, I went into stem cell medicine, regenerative medicine, because I wanted to add a tool for my patients with spine problems. And I was helping to bridge that and ask to write a textbook chapter. The textbooks for physicians, and I'll run through you. This is not for the average uh, reader, but it's a medical textbook. And I wrote a whole chapter on regenerative medicine for the spine. And it's the same approach that we use for other joints. And we have been treating spine patients. And I, I do tend to collect those data and we'll publish on them when we get enough time and follow up. It'll be a retrospective. It's a controlled study. We don't have a placebo arm because I don't want anyone to have to sign up just to get a placebo. But we are seeing those kinds of good results as well. And we have done all kinds of different things for the spine has multiple sources of pain, so potential pain generators, joints, discs, vertebral bones, what have you. We've treated some people where we've done multiple sources of pain and facet joints, disc issues. We haven't replaced all possibilities require surgery, but if we can reduce the surgery or the invasiveness or the open or the number of levels that are involved, we're working towards simpler ways of helping people and helping them logically biologically, and it gives new meaning to the word biology or biologic, right? Because we're using what we know about the, the cells and the body to suppress inflammation that's causing pain and degeneration. Makes a lot of sense. And I, it's where my brain went to with trying to understand the application in post-COVID world. So the minute that I was looking at the application and the effects of this, I was thinking about how many people have nervous system damage, how many people have inflammation coming out of post-COVID, both from could this be an, a treatment for someone with an acute case, but also could it be treatment for someone who has long COVID and is still experiencing lingering issues? For people who are not familiar, I'm going to read from the NIH's website to speak specifically to how COVID um, affects the nervous system, because I think it can be confusing to think of it like a respiratory versus not something else. And over time, we found that it was affecting more than what was initially understood. So just to like recap how COVID um SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 um, affects our biologies. Depending on who you are, it, your reaction is different. So 
From NIH's website, it says research shows that many neurological symptoms of COVID-19 are a result of the body's widespread immune response to infection rather than the virus directly in infecting the brain or the nervous system. So in some people, we can see that the SARS-CoV-2 infection causes an overreactive response to the immune system, which can also damage body symptoms. Changes in the immune system have been seen in studies of the cerebrospinal fluid, which bathes the brain, and in people who have been infected by SARS-CoV-2. This includes the presence of antibodies, or proteins made by the immune system to fight the virus, that may also react with the nervous system. So although rare, COVID-19 can cause seizures or major strokes, muscular weakness, nerve injury, and pain syndromes are common in people who require intensive care during infections. And there are also very rare reports of conditions that develop after infection, as they sometimes do with other types of infections. So in my personal experience, my we had COVID very early on. My husband is a essential worker. Before we even like understood how to mask, he brought it home. And we had a very relatively light case in our house. We have four children, my husband, and it felt like the worst case of the flu that we had. And then we got better and we felt better. But I ended up having long COVID and I have autoimmune diseases. So now it makes a lot of sense why that happened to me. My immune system overramped all this kind of stuff. And it took a lot of effort for me to later understand what was happening because nobody understood long COVID at that time or acknowledged that it was a thing. And needing to calm my body and my immune system to reduce that inflammation over time. And that's not accessible for most people. The things that I had to do, quit coffee, not drink alcohol. When I tell people like when they're like, oh, my gosh, I have a best friend or a husband or whoever, and he has these problems, too. And I'm like, OK, well, I don't drink alcohol and I don't drink coffee and I sleep more than most people. And that helped a lot. And people are like, Nope, can't do that. And I'm like, well, my quality of life required that. So I'm curious what you're seeing from a medicinal factor as not just from stem cell, but being in this environment, knowing that you're someone who specializes in this kind of area. Are there other things that are available to people now that weren't necessarily available then to help with some of this stuff? There are. I think we've learned a lot the hard way. And if we can look at inflammation in general, we know that there are a few different overlapping situations, conditions that involve hyperinflammation or overinflammation. Autoimmune disease is probably the number one model for that, right? Whether it's thyroiditis or rheumatoid arthritis or some of the other ones, the body's attacking itself because the immune system is overactive. The inflammation system is upregulated and doing more than it should, and it degenerates faster. We have blood tests for this now. We have markers. We have age, biological age tests we look at to study this. We also know that certain infections have a more than expected inflammatory response. Because, listen, inflammation is involved in our response, defense, and healing. You get a regular flu. You have an inflammatory response. You feel sick. You fight it off. You're better. It's done, right? And maybe you develop some immunity to the flu. Well, we know that some infections just 
are crazy good at inflammation. Lyme's disease is one of them. And then more recently, obviously, COVID-19. And we know this early on in COVID because early in 2020, when patients were being admitted to the intensive care units at hospitals all over the country, specifically early in, in New York City and with the volume of people there, we, we heard a new phrase. And the phrase was new to the layperson, but doctors knew about it. It's called cytokine storm. And cytokines are small molecules that signal from cell to cell uh, in the body to make a move, make a change. And, and these cytokines are pro-inflammatory. So we had people who had so much gunked up inflammation, they ended up in the ICU because their hearts were troubled and their lungs were so filled up they couldn't breathe. They needed ventilators more than any usual flu season. So this particular virus spike protein is going to be just incredibly inflammatory. And one additional clue is there was a study that early on showed people who got to the ICU with this COVID hyperinflammatory state did better if they had been on vitamin D supplementation because vitamin D is so incredibly inflammatory. And most of the drugs, some of the experimental drugs or hard to get drugs were known to be anti-inflammatory. And there are others that didn't even make the news that are probably useful, like rapamycin and others. Now, one of the most anti-inflammatory treatments out there is regenerative medicine. Stem cells, exosomes, these things are probably the best at controlling the immune system. The word that's used is immune, immunomodulatory. They temper the immune system. So there was one of the early studies with exosomes was in patients with COVID in the ICU setting. And they can be delivered IV. They can be delivered through a ventilator or through a breathing treatment. And this got expanded into patients with lung trouble, heart and lung trouble for long, long COVID. And there have been some good results. For neurological problems, the stem cells can help but stem cells do not pass through the blood-brain barrier, meaning they, they struggle to get from the bloodstream into the nervous system because cells are big. What do you mean? They're not big. You have to look at them under a microscope. Well, relatively speaking, they, they're, big, they're too big to get through the blood-brain barrier. They can help because they deliver exosomes that, that are small enough to pass. But I believe that you can deliver exosomes IV to help with nervous system inflammation. And we've seen that in Alzheimer's models because Alzheimer's has an inflammatory reaction to the mistangled, misfolded proteins called tau. We see other neuroinflammatory problems that have responded positively in case studies to exosomes, and they can be delivered IV. So it's my belief that we may have benefits for helping the body heal the nervous system by using these regenerative biologics, uh, particularly the exosomes IV. The show is sponsored by Nessa's Hemp. If you listen to our recent episode on CBD, then you know most brands aren't testing for efficacy or safety. And if they are, it's with labs that aren't giving a full picture of heavy metal and other potential contaminants. 
I have been taking CBD for years and have shared about the power of cannabis oil to be anti-inflammatory with lots of science-backed health benefits. But even knowing that, I was still super impressed by the quality of Nessa's CBDA. It's essentially the difference between, if you think of it, like vanilla extract and real vanilla. Yes, you can have variations of quality on different types of extract, but none of that will compare to using real fresh vanilla seed paste. Likewise, Nessa CBD is full-bodied in its hemp flavor, so my recommendation is to put it under the tongue and let it melt down your throat without diluting it or anything else consumed as a chaser. And the result is going to be more full spectrum as well. Cannabis oil works with your body's own endocannabinoid system finding gaps. So research has shown that CBD activates specific receptors throughout the body to produce pharmacological effects, particularly in the central nervous system and the immune system. But even the NIH says that CBD treatments have outpaced scientific research and regulatory advancements, resulting in confusing landscape of misinformation and unsubstantiated health claims for consumers. So check out the real deal at nessashemp.com for their unparalleled safety and quality standards. That's nessahemp.com for 25% off your first order. It, it all sounds very like on the cusp of super exciting. And I say on the cusp of because one can't just like walk into their regular doctor's office and say, this is what I want, right? Because you had people coming to you and saying, well, what about stem cells? And there was a time where you didn't know about stem cells and a lot of doctors don't. So because I like to always leave listeners with something positive or actionable that they can do, they can walk away and feel like, okay, I can either be of service to myself or I can recommend this to my friend who's been talking about knee pain and not wanting to get surgery. What can people listening today do if that's the situation they find themselves or someone that they know in? I would make sure you always get a second opinion before you have, if you have complete confidence in your doctor, make sure you talk to a different person there and then ask the questions. Hey doc, what about stem cells? And do they say, no, that's unproven or it's whatever the then maybe they're not open-minded enough to be willing to keep up on the latest techniques. And maybe, admittedly, that might have been me for a number of years. But I think my answer was generally, I just don't know. I wasn't trained in that. And I'm open to it. I just don't know. And finally, I said that enough times that I didn't want to say it anymore, which is why I went and got trained on it. And Or ask a stem cell or regenerative medicine doctor in your area. We're everywhere. I'm not the only one. We're everywhere. Ask them, what are the options? What, what are the stem cell options? And figure them out. Listen, ask for outcome statistics that exist. Ask for the studies like you've done here today, Stacey. You've, you've said, let's, what is the science behind this? And there is good science. In Europe and in Asia, they've been doing this for 15 to 20 years. This is not new. It's a little bit newish to us Americans because of political and economic and cultural pressures and how we are, but we're getting there and we can tap into the science of other parts of the world. And it always strikes me how American science, medicine specifically, were so quick to 
not adapt new practices, but also not act when we know things are harmful. Like we're like, it's one or the other. We're being overprotective, but what it ends up feeling like is just that it takes our process 20 years to finally implement something. By the time something is learned, practiced, a study published, right? This new study has been going on for 15 years before it was published. And then it takes a while for people to adapt it. It then takes even longer to make it into a textbook for someone to read about it and learn about it and then put it into practice. Whereas, like you're saying, it's something in other areas where a doctor might say, well, if you're willing to try it, we have enough science at this point that it's not there, there was nothing in the research that I read that showed there was negative outcomes or harm that came to people. Even in the study that you talked about, it had the same results as steroids. It's not like they would have been better off doing something else or harm came to them or something like that. And so I also talk a lot about the different things that are in our lives that are harmful or toxic or different kinds of things that are on the shelf and available everywhere, yet when it comes to something that might be helpful, Americans either don't have access or we don't adopt it the same way. And I, it's interesting that you mentioned like from a political cultural perspective, because I wonder like why that is. Cause I think of America as we used to be like the, the, on the forefront of all this stuff willing to, anyway, that's, it's a completely different soapbox and a different tangent. So <laughs> let me just wrap listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to Keep in touch. And I know Dr. Jeffrey does do virtual visits. So you can also reach out to him if you have questions and you want to learn more at resellebrate.com. We'll put the link in the show notes for you. And you can also check him and the practice out on Instagram. And are you on other socials? Is it just Instagram? Because it's no, at Recelebrate. TikTok, LinkedIn, Facebook. Most of our fun stuff is goes out to Instagram at Recelebrate. And we also have at Get Young Again. But I know you're not big on anti-aging, but it's anti- <laughs> but I'm, I'm into wanting to feel young again. I just, I think that there is power in being able to get older. Like that is a privilege not everybody gets. And so the term anti-aging, I'm like, I just don't, like I am feel very I'm, lucky. Let me flip your narrative. Anti-inflammation fills your lifespan with health. Yes. That's what this whole thing is about. Whether you call it anti-aging or you call it healthy aging, it's the same path. Yes. And that is where we definitely can agree. And listeners, if you're looking for any of the links that we talked about today, we'll put a list of resources in the show notes for you at realeverything.com. And of course, you can also head to patreon.com slash the whole view if you want to get all of our shows delivered to your inbox ad-free which is a really great way to support the show that we create and produce ourselves. And if you enjoyed the show, could you please leave a review saying so? It costs you nothing except just 30 seconds of your time and makes a huge difference in my ability to be able to continue to do this work. Don't forget to follow and subscribe in the podcast app you're using. And as always, we appreciate your willingness to be open to grow through your own personal change. No one is perfect, but in listening, learning, and unlearning, we can choose to become better versions of ourselves for ourselves. Or perhaps we can become less inflamed, healthier versions of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Jeffrey Gross, for joining us today. Thank you.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.